Welcome to the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Lees, a conversation for those who own, manage or protect intellectual property. Hello, I'm David Walsh, partner and patent attorney at Appleyard Lees. This episode follows the launch of Appleyard Lees' Inside Green Innovation Progress Report 3rd Edition. This year's report uses global patent filing data to analyse green technological developments in hydrogen, batteries, nuclear, wind, plant-based meat, cultivated meat, insect protein, bioplastics, carbon capture and plastics recycling. Today, fellow patent attorneys Chris Mason, partner, and Paul Bynum, senior associate, join me to discuss key insights and trends. We couldn't not start today's podcast by talking about the big news, which is the transitioning away from fossil fuels with certain caveats and how that might affect patent filings in the future and how perhaps looking at this year's patent filings, how they, how they might how we might be affected by some of those changes. Well, I think it's really interesting to consider the wider context, isn't it? I mean, we've gone through an awful lot of significant worldwide events over the last few years. Obviously, from a more local perspective, we've got Brexit, and then we went into the pandemic, and then the war in Ukraine, and the associated economic shocks coming from that. That's obviously within the wider context of this building climate crisis and the clear indicators that are emerging from the climate data that significant action is needed. So within that context, I I thought coming into this report this year, it was going to be really interesting to see how the innovation trends were managing in the face of all that headwind. There's a clear desire, I think, to progress solutions for the climate crisis. How have those solutions been progressing in the face of all these geopolitical and wider issues that the world have been facing? Has there been a slowdown in innovation um, or has it indeed galvanized people to push forward? I think, obviously, we'll get into the details, but I think just as a headline, it was really interesting to see that there hasn't really been much of a noticeable suppression of innovation rates. I mean, we only have data till the end of 2021. So we're talking about the immediate effect of COVID predominantly from, from this report. And really, it was difficult to pull out any sort of slowdown in, in innovation rates, which I thought was really promising. Yeah, I, I agree with that, with that, Chris. It, it, was, it was refreshing to see the, the general increase in the number of filings across a number of different sectors. And there's a general push towards new sustainable green technologies. And I think we can, um, yeah, I think we can feel excited about the prospect of transitioning to to using those technologies in future. Yeah, a lot of steep increases in the last few years in the, in a number of techno- technological areas, aren't there? Yeah. I was particularly struck. I, I wasn't co-author, but I was struck by the hydrogen uh, increase, big increase in in, in patent filings relating to to hydrogen. I thought that was quite exciting, but but in in plastics and plastics recycling as well in in wind and renewables so even the areas which weren't on the increase were still holding up strong i would say uh, uh, yeah often at historic highs yeah so uh, they may not be quite at their peak but the peak was probably a few years ago and although we're now slightly past the peak they're still at very very high levels yes, relatively yeah. i mean for me it becomes abundantly clear that the technology will get there we can develop the technology mm-hmm. and people are trying to develop those technologies I think, although we didn't see a depressive effect from COVID yet, I think what was more obvious was the promoting effects of 
things like clear government policy. Mm -hmm. So across a few of the sectors that we looked at, where countries had clear government policies in place, clear regulatory mm -hmm. positions in place, they were often leading the way in terms of rate of innovation. And so I thought that was a fascinating link there, or indicators of that link anyway. Yeah, and that especially came out in the article on cultivated meat, where there's lots of different government policies and legislation around the world on it. And those governments who are slightly more progressive in terms of cultivated meat, it was, that seemed to marry up with the number of filings. And there was a clear increase in number of filings in those countries compared with other countries that were lagging behind a little bit on the, that legislation, I think were, it was clearly a general trend downwards or a plateauing in, in the number of filings. Well, you saw that in insect protein as well. You know, you had a clear, you got fairly clear regulatory position in Europe, the European Union at least, where some insect protein powders are now permissible using food, some foodstuffs, whereas in other countries, such as perhaps the US, where the regulatory position is not clear, the, the rate of innovation there is, is falling as mm. opposed to Europe, mm. where we're seeing very strong growth. Mm. And that came out in, in the article on wind as well, where the position in the UK has been changeable over the past few years. I think it's probably fair enough to say, but but one thing that is um, is okay is offshore wind, and there are the number of filings in in offshore wind, and in particular deep offshore offshore wind. There's there's clear there's a clear increase in the number of filings there, and that's reflected as well in. The number of actual projects that's going on around the UK at the minute, there's mm -hmm. hundreds of, of offshore wind projects going on. And so I think it's, it's quite an exciting time for, for wind technology. As I said at the beginning, I, I'm quite interested in the, the decision that came out of COP28 in terms of, as I understand it, and that's just for our listeners, it's a, it's a transitioning away from fossil fuels with certain caveats. So there's, there's a possible caveat for for methane so methane could be seen as a as a cleaner a cleaner burning fossil fuel um there's also a caveat away it, it's restricted to energy so my understanding of that is it's it doesn't include transport and in particular air transport which is there's no immediate solution to an alternative way of powering our uh, aircraft on the horizon at the moment but I was just wondering how that might affect us, affect us for next year. And I, my immediate thought was, oh, well, maybe carbon capture, for instance, would become less important. But I've almost, I think, within that context, carbon capture is still really important for for non energy related uses. And in fact, given that given the phase out and 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 the lifespan of a patent being twenty years, and we're looking at twenty fifty, it, it it's still still important to actually address carbon capture within the next few years, even on, 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 on fossil fuels. But, but in, in terms of producing plastics and producing cement, there's no immediate, again, there's no alternative technologies which are going to really replace those technologies in the short term for reasons we've elaborated on in the report. So but I just wonder if you guys thought there's there ways it might be affected, that transitioning, that transitioning away. I mean, some of the carbon capture is direct air carbon capture, there's a lot of cynicism around carbon capture. Some people think, well, it's never really going to work. So it's really just it's just just the fossil fuel industry is just perpetuating the industry. I think it's way more nuanced than that. But I wonder if you have any thoughts on 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 that. I think transition is a really interesting word, isn't it? Probably the right word for carbon capture. I think, like you say, in some industries, it's not a transition because there's always going to be producing 
greenhouse gases through the manufacturing processes. So carbon capture is going to have an eternal use in those industries. For energy generation, the hope is, I suppose, or the expectation is that we're going to move towards renewable energy generation that don't produce these greenhouse gases and therefore carbon capture would have no role. But we're not there yet, are we? We've got many, many years and probably decades before we get to that point. So for me, the question with carbon capture is, technologically, is it going to be to stage imminently where it can do what it needs to do from a technological perspective? That's number one. And I, I hope so. And I think so. Number two, what's the business case for it? So I know there are some power stations in the UK that are ready to go with carbon capture, but they just can't support the business case. They need government support to be able to implement it. How does that marry up? Where, where does the responsibility lie between businesses having to function as businesses in this context of trying to address the climate crisis? Who puts their hands in the pockets? Is it fair to expect businesses to operate uneconomically in order to address the climate crisis? I think that's a very complex position. The other thing I was struck by, I was, and this is something we're hoping I know to bring into next year's report, but it was a comparable between patent filings across different fields. But I was actually struck by how similar the nuts and bolts technology. So I'm, I'm excluding biotech here. I'm excluding, I'm excluding food, the food-based section. But in terms of the other sections, the numbers of patent filings, even with plastics and energy, were very similar. I thought, you know, there's a kind of 500-ish mm. per year, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and maybe going up to a 1,000 for some techs and dropping down to 250, 300 for others. But it was, in, it was in the same factor, if you like. So I thought that would be quite an interesting comparison to make, you know, next year in terms of different technologies. But it just struck me as sort of odd that there was a similar level of filing. These are different companies in different parts of the world. I think that's really interesting. And I, I think it's... It's interesting to see that when you when you look into some specific data trends as well, that perhaps the trends aren't necessarily indicative of the overall filing rates. Looking at nuclear, it's interesting that new filings for nuclear fission are still significantly higher than those filings for nuclear fusion, but the general trends are reversed. So in the coming years, that may well re mm. reverse, but at the minute, the number of fission filings are in the order of about 500, whereas fusion is perhaps 10 times lower than that, and it's mm. still increasing. But yeah, I think it's a really important point that there's one, it's perhaps multiple problems that we're trying to solve and with the same common goal and we require multiple different technologies to, mm. to confront those problems and to solve those problems. I wonder if it's something to do with something that's quite fundamental to this, to this report. And often we ask ourselves the question, well, why do we care about patent data? What is patent data actually telling us about green innovation? And our, our view is, our position is that because patents should require an upfront investment in the filing of the patents and the managing of the patent family, Therefore, patents protect commercially valuable technology. And commercially valuable technology represents meaningful technological progress because there's a value there. Now, obviously, that link between commercially valuable technology and meaningful technological progress probably can be debated. But our view is that on the whole, there's going to be a positive correlation there. And therefore, patent data can be used to map meaningful technology developments. And obviously, we can then use that data and break it down in many different ways, looking at global trends, looking at uh, territory or origin of innovations, types of innovator, 
both broadly within a whole sector and then within sub-technologies. But I wonder if the limitation for the patent filing data or indeed for green technology is a commercial position about how, but compared to perhaps pharma and other areas where there's clear, strong commercial drivers, the business case for green technology is perhaps a bit more difficult. We've already touched on it with the implementation of carbon capture and how businesses adapt their business models to incorporate green technologies where perhaps it's not commercially driven, but it's more driven by the need to solve this climate crisis. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's a, a ceiling on green innovation driven by the difficulties of justifying the business case behind the technologies, which obviously lends itself to needing stronger government and international support uh, to make up for that gap. Yeah, so, so you, what you're saying is perhaps it's linked to a government support, which might be might sort of iron out across the world and it's sort of like, well, there's a bit of support needed in this area or there's a bit of support needed in that area. And the, the willingness to give that support is almost the same. It sort of levels out to be about, about the same. I think that's quite interesting. But if you look at, for instance, bioplastics versus plastic recycling, bioplastics is, has a similar level of filings to plastic recycling. Now, plastic recycling has got, let's say, a massive amount of vested interest from the plastics industry. If they could come up with a way which meant that plastics were totally recyclable and became a much, much cleaner technology, they'd probably never be 100% clean, but a lot, lot cleaner and, and, and sustainable, then that industry will, would, would, would carry on, would, would, would be successful. One would imagine it has a, 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 has a, a, a strong future. On the other side, if bioplastics can, be, can gather all the properties of, of, of plastics and, 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 and they can improve bioplastics to the extent that they can come into all the different applications and also with bioplastics that are naturally sustainable or, or recyclable, then you think that would completely replace that, that technology. So but, but going back to Chris's point, I don't think there's regulatory support necessarily. There probably is some for, for the plastics industry, they're probably investing some of their own cash, if you like, in this in this recycling project. But it's matching the bioplastics filings, which I think is really, really interesting. Bearing in mind that bioplastics is 1% of the global market in plastics. So it's matching on the patent side 50-50. Uh, so I just wonder why that is. I mean, that's it's, it's incredible. It seems to me an incredible. I mean, I, I wonder if it's a response from the industry saying, okay, we need to keep plastics going and therefore we... Our solution is to recycle them properly and take them back to monomer. And the bioplastics industry is saying, well, we want to replace that technology. So there's an equal, almost a pattern war going on. So, mm-hmm. so it's 50-50, even though bioplastics is only 1% successful. It's only 1% of the market. But that, maybe that's a very particular, I don't know, explanation for why bioplastics and plastics have got similar levels of funds. It doesn't really explain why hydrogen is also a similar level, of, <laughs> <laughs> for example, or batteries for that matter. Well, I think the bioplastics and, and- Plastic recycling is a really interesting example because there we've got, like you say, well-established, massive companies making a lot of good money, producing a lot of very functionally effective products. And so for them, it's, it represents a move away from their core business, doesn't it, to have to implement recycling. Although, as you, as you say, <clears throat> there are advantages. And I think I'd expect a lot of these companies anticipate that to be the end result. We are going to have much higher levels of chemical recycling at some point. The technology will be developed to allow it to happen at some point, and there will be sustainable businesses mm. around the technology at some point. It's that transition again, isn't it, between where we are now 
to where we have which to get to. Which takes you back to your regulatory point, which is sort of... It's the drivers you know, beyond, the, the, beyond driver. the business. So the drivers beyond the business that, that I think determine the speed of that transition. And I'd, I'd use an example, and it's difficult, and I'd use an example of the oil companies. So I think in Europe, some of the major oil companies have transitioned from oil companies to energy companies, haven't they? They're spending a lot more money on renewable energy, developing that technology and investments. Whereas I think in the US, some of their major oil companies have said, no, we're oil companies and we're going to continue with oil. And now they're doing much better. Well, at least share, share point wise, I think they're, they're holding up strong, whereas some of the European companies are struggling a bit, at least in terms of share price. So I think for me, that's quite a good example. And I'm sure it's quite a complex position. I wouldn't want to oversimplify it. But a good example of that difficulty that many businesses probably find themselves in, knowing where the end point is going to be, because the fundamentals line up in that direction. But it's the speed of that transition is, I think, such a difficult question. Yeah, it's tricky to uh, find the right horse to back. There's yeah. one, and, and it might be that you want to spread your bets and, and back both horses a, a little bit, because perhaps reducing this to a very simple analogy, could this almost be VHS against Betamax? I've got another example for um, the power of regulatory drivers. So we've seen in the chemical recycling, chemical plastic recycling sector, the massive investment coming from Eastman. They are, for the last few years, they've been really dominating chemical recycling filings by a long, long way compared to anything we've seen in other sectors. And it, it appears that's clearly re- associated with their new PET methanolysis recycling plants that they're bringing online in, in the US and in France. My understanding of that is that actually it's not currently really economically viable because of the really low price of virgin PET. It's, it's struggling to make the business case at the moment. What they're doing is they're betting on regulations, especially in Europe and other countries, requiring high levels of recycled content, which would then drive the, the business case and make those investments sustainable and economical. So I think that's a really interesting and clearly they're making a bet on those regulations. So again, it comes back yes. to clarity needed. And we've seen similar links coming from South Korea, where recently in the last few years, around 2018, the government introduced new policies vowing to reduce plastic waste by 30% by 2022 and by 50% in 2030 and achieving a recycling rate of 70% up from 34% at the moment by 2030 as well. So again, clear government policy. Those are uh, going to be regulatory requirements for businesses operating in that country. And that gives businesses justification to perhaps speed up their investment towards in that transition, speed up the transition period to reach that, what we say is kind of fundamentally obvious end goal. So for me, the really interesting thing, the most interesting thing for me from our report this year was seeing those links between regulatory clarity Mm -hmm. and speeding up of that innovation transition. Now, I think it's important to say as well, you've got to be really careful with this new regulation. It's not about binding companies and putting more red tape in the way. It's about providing clarity and justification for speeding up that transition and the supporting business cases. Yeah, I agree with that, Chris. And that, that jumps out from the Cultivated Meats article as well, because my understanding is that it isn't commercially achievable right now in order to produce cultivated meat at a price point that consumers would pay for it. It's very, very expensive at the minute. But these companies are betting on the the fact that it will be commercially achievable in future and we'll be able to bring those prices down to a price point that, that the consumers would be would be happy happy with it. Yeah, cultivated meat is a really interesting sector, isn't it? Because um, again, the fundamentals appear clear. If we can generate more of our meat 
from bioreactors in labs. We reduce the polluting effects of traditional agricultural farming, methane emissions, we free up land for other use. And there's also the ethical considerations. But cultivated meat, it's hard to scale up. It uses a lot of power and it's going to continue to use a lot of power. I think there's no getting away from that. So it's going to have to be supported by growth in renewable energy sources to make to allow it to achieve its full potential. But for me, again, the fundamentals line up. There are still technical hurdles, fundamental technical hurdles to address, I think. But innovation is ramping up. We're seeing more and more people entering the sector and solving these problems. And I have the utmost faith in our innovators that these are solvable problems. And again, it's how quickly we solve those problems and whether the right environment is put in place beyond, around the innovators to allow that to proceed at the pace that we need it to proceed because the environmental crisis is proceeding at one pace and the implementation of new technology is proceeding at a different pace and it's about matching those. Absolutely. And we're not, we're not sure what we're seeing yet, are we? Because what we are seeing is a, a really strong increase in pattern filings in a number of areas, which perhaps is what, four, five, six years old now. So, you know, maybe that's springing out of something like COP 2015. I don't know, but, but, but we, we might not be seeing this might not be peaking yet. It might just be getting ramping up. I mean, if you look at bioplastics, for instance, you, you got double the amount of filing than that you had historically. With plastic recycling, it's it's more than more than double. But that doesn't mean that's gonna that's where it's gonna finish. I mean, we could be looking at this could be the beginning of a curve where we're looking at ten times the amount of pattern filings in three, four, five years' time. In fact, some of these curves, if you plot them onwards, if they carry on at this rate by twenty twenty five, twenty twenty six you could be looking at double or triple the number of current filings, which is already double what it was three or four years ago. So it could be a massively exploding area. And it doesn't look like, I mean, unfortunately, uh, it's a sad judgment, but unfortunately we, we, we are seeing significant climate, well, I wouldn't say climate, but certainly weather weather events, which which a number of experts are saying are linked to climate change. And that's going to, if anything, going to just going to strengthen the, level of regulatory investment and change that's going, to, that's going to occur. I think it's easy to become blasé about the massive growth we're seeing across the sectors. I know when we were putting together the headline takeaways for all these reports, I'd see the draft and the first column would be filings at historic highs. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's the same in every sector. We need a news item. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, that, but that wasn't news to me because I'd seen it across all the sectors as we put, put the report together. But and then I, I had a think and I thought, well, we shouldn't just dismiss that as being boring because actually that is a really important insight that we're seeing this dramatic surge and historic high peaks across pretty much all the sectors we looked at for the most recent data. And when you put that together, historic peaks across all the hot green innovation sectors I think that really says a lot and um, it's easy to get blasé about it, like I say, when when you start to get more focused on trying to pull out more sub-insights, a bit more granular in the data. It's easy to to push past that, but I think, we, I think David, you're right. I mean, to step back and just acknowledge that as a, as, a, as a good thing. Well, if we go right back, Chris, I think when we talked about this before we even started, you were saying, we're talking the talk, but are we, are we walking the walk? The patterns will tell us whether the companies are walking the walk and I think we can conclude they're walking the walk. Well, that, that was our tagline. That was our driver <laughs> yes. initially, wasn't it? Yes. We, we, we said, we're hearing a lot of rhetoric <clears throat> from COP and whatnot. We want to get behind that rhetoric and see if we're actually, what we're actually doing. What are we actually producing technology-wise? And, and you're right. I think for me, that, and I think 
people have a shared view. The data is really promising. We're, like I say, we're seeing really strong growth. The technology is going to be there. It's just a question of how quickly it gets there and, and um, the, whether the appropriate drivers are in place to shorten that transition to the period that probably need. Chris, I know this is something that you spoke about last year, but in in lots of the data trends, we saw that that many many of the filings are now on their on their second peak. They've had a previous peak and they're now on on a second peak. Did you want to talk a little bit about the relevance of that? Yeah, well, it's really interesting. So we we, we picked up on that a lot last year, didn't we? We had a look at fuel cells, hydrogen fuel cells, heat pumps, and solar. And for all three of those, again, there's a remarkable similarity in the filing trends around the core technology, around the, the solar cells, around the, the, the core heat pump materials, and around the core fuel cell materials. They all showed massive growth from 2000 to around 2010, and then a sudden and dramatic decline down to really low base levels in the following decade. What was going on there? Because if you looked more widely, if you looked at the balance of system components, the, the supports, the, the technology around actually turning this core technology in different applications, for using cars, for using trucks, for using airplanes, et cetera, the growth in that balance of system took off at the same time that the core technology innovation dropped. So that was a kind of double peak where you had the development in the photo, photovoltaic cells achieving a level of maturity and commercial application where it became diminishing returns to innovate further. And we saw patent filing levels drop off. Now, that didn't mean the technology was dead. Actually, that meant the technology was ready in many respects, I think. And we saw that as well by the second peak coming in the balance of system innovation. So the, the mounts for sun tracking, for example, suddenly ramped up as people took this mature technology and tried to actually make commercial use of it and, and implement it. So that is one example of the double peak trend where you have a core technology and then you have the kind of associated with, uh, implementation technology coming on afterwards. Now, we've seen a double peak in bioplastics and chemical recycling. My view is that that's not the same thing. And so the double peak theory is that you will have a first peak that rides the hype, whereas the uh, fundamental research gains traction, maybe some enabling technologies come along, and then we see filing trends go up. But then maybe the commercial reality is that the hype doesn't meet the commercial expectations, and therefore maybe some of the initial businesses struggle or they don't get the returns that they're expecting. And interest wanes a little bit and then it'll the the technology will keep bubbling along and then eventually we'll get this second peak where it does become a commercial more more commercially viable and you'll get this second peak or maybe perhaps the commercial peak or the first peak is the hype peak or the fundamental peak second peak is the commercial peak where people start to actually find uses for this technology and therefore you get a double peak and then the second peak you start to see the technology hitting the market now we have that double peak with bioplastics and chemical recycling is this that kind of double peak? I don't think it is. Because if you look at the first peak in the 2000s, it was almost entirely driven by Japanese filings. And if you take those filings and then only look at international patent families, which we would say is the strongest, a stronger indicator of commercially valuable technology and meaningful technological growth, various reasons we won't get into. If you look at international patent filings, there is no first peak. It's flat. Whereas if you look at international patent filings for the second peak, it's still there. It's a global effort. We're seeing growth across all the major regions of, of, of the world in both bioplastics and chemical recycling in this most recent peak. One thing that we've not spoken about just yet is the, the article on batteries. I thought it was interesting, the approach that we took this year on looking at the alternatives to lithium, which is 
the clear front runner and is the clear material that's been used in, in many batteries around the world, but is also in finite supply. And David, did you want to talk a little bit about about the, the approach we took to batteries this year? Yeah, no, we, we certainly looked at that. And there certainly are, there is a lot, what the, what the trends show is there's a lot of activity in non-lithium, lithium-ion batteries, except that lithium-ion still dominates the, the pattern filing literature. So you go back to, not surprisingly, 650 or so pattern filings for, 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 for lithium-ion. Per year. Per year, yeah, sorry. Uh, but then if you look at non-lithium-ion, quite a, there was a peak for sodium back in 2013 to 14, but now they're all... There's a number of technologies operating around 50, 60, 70, maybe a bit lower than that. So it's not replacing it. There's, there's not, they're not backing one horse. I think, that, I think that's probably the message that we found, that there wasn't a clear alternative technology. There were some interesting technologies. It's going to, I think it's very much in its infancy. I think you know, replacing lithium is going to be difficult. From an energy security point of view, it seems important. For I, We can certainly understand why countries would want that energy security. But it, it, it it's not a it's not a problem that's been solved yet, and the innovators are still very much early days. Feel like you're in the foothills of replacing lithium at this stage. If you look at when lithium iron first took off in the nineties, it was followed by a strong, fairly strong growth in also in zinc and sodium based batteries, but that quickly faded. You get to two thousands, uh, two thousand and ten, and it's back down to nineteen ninety numbers for zinc and, and sodium whereas lithium just took off took off took off but innovators have started to revisit these alternative metals zinc and sodium and indeed iron have all seen renewed interest in the last 10 years and they're still not quite at a historic high of the early 90s but there was a clear growth line of upward upward growth in, in those in those three metals less so for manganese and magnesium Manganese had an interesting spurt of, 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 of innovation last in the last decade, but it was um, from a very low baseline. Actually, it, was, it, was, it stands out as quite a quite a peak, but that seems to be dying down in the last few years as well. So, what strikes me for alternative metals to lithium is it's so inconsistent. The innovation rates are so inconsistent, and you see a renewed period of interest for a few years, and then it dies down again. I don't know how much, if any, real market market effects it has. So that's the, the 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 negative side to it. Like I say, the the silver lining is that if you took a trend line for all these alternative metals over the last ten years, there is an upward growth. So people are looking at them and trying to make them work. But clearly, as David said, lithium is the front runner by a long way, and and still is, and probably will be for some time to come. Should we touch on plant based meat then before we finish? I think we talked about this. I listened to our podcast from last year this morning and we talked about it a little bit. And I think we're going to touch on the same comments again, really, that yes, innovation is still growing. More people are still entering the sector, but I think it's going through a difficult time at the moment. I think if you look at companies like Beyond Meat, where they had at one point a 14 billion pound valuation, that's now down at the low 100 millions. And that turnaround has been dramatic in the last few years. The stories about consumers being turned away from the sector because of the poor nutritional profiles of the food that's been produced. It's using ultra-processing. Ultra-processing. Yeah. So I think the mm. industry is going through a turbulent time. But 
We're still seeing growth in filings. We're still seeing growth in the number of innovators making those filings. So there's clearly still an interest there. Well, thanks, guys. It's been, as, as with the last few years, it's been a really interesting uh, discussion. It lends itself well to not just talk about the graphs and the patent filing data, but what that data is telling us about, about the state of the world today and what trends we might be looking out for in the future. So thanks very much for your contribution. Yeah, I really enjoyed that discussion. Thank you both. Yeah, thanks both. Thanks for listening to the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Leagues. If you have a question or issue you would like our IP specialists to discuss on the podcast, then tweet us at Appleyard Leagues or email us at ip at appleyardleagues.com. Thank you.